0: Welcome to Stories from the First Watch. This is both a solo role-playing game and an experiment in audio storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control. Last time, on Stories from the First Watch. The episode begins with a flashback to six months previously in the southern land of Tivolia, where Mara finds the courage to tell her family that she is leaving their coastal village and travelling to the provinces in order to enrol at the College of Magic in Forlond. Her parents are against the idea at first, but their reluctance gradually fades in view of her determination to go. They sadly bid her farewell, as she prepares to travel in the next few days. Back in the present, Mara and her companions are in a much darker and more perilous location. Exploring the ruined dwarven fortress of Karamund, now the lair of the bandits that raided Hollow Hill, the party stumbles across what looks like an abandoned storeroom, but it turns out to be less empty than Thur's fort. They endure the fuel of nightmares, as four long-dead dwarves reanimate and rise to their feet, shambling towards them. An intense battle follows, which fortunately the party all survive, although Armanda is scratched on the face by one of the undead. So far though, he suffers no side effects. The party are shaken, but continue resolutely, after Navi gives a ritual blessing to the twice-dead dwarves. They soon come across another room, further down the corridor. Inside this is a large cage containing a human, albeit one in a very poor condition. His face and body are pocked with areas of decaying flesh, and he calls out to them in a heavy, laboured voice. The focus pulls back from the party, and returns to the band of goblins that had been stalking them since episode 2. Now that they are close to their lair, which also appears to be the Halls of Karamond. Their hobgoblin leader, Druk, tells them they can torture and torment the captured humans, but must refrain from killing them, or those in command will be furious with him, and he with them. Then, he suddenly catches the scent of the party from a few hours before, and with fury, he leads the band up to the entrance to the fort. We return to the party, just as they are making contact with the unfortunate prisoner in the cage. Day 5, evening. Killia, 7 of 7 hit points. Almanda 10 of 14 hit points. Navi, 4 of 12 hit points. Mara, 8 of 8 hit points. Macus, 8 of 8 hit points. Longo, 7 of 7 hit points. Spells available, read magic and shield. Narvi has prayed for. Cure like wounds. The party advanced cautiously, edging towards the captive man. Kilia's bow was drawn, and Maccus held his spear out ahead of him. Elmander drew ahead, and knelt on one knee. What's your name, friend? he asked, not unkindly. Morton, grunted the man. Well met, Morton. Or rather, not so well, in your case, the fighter replied. You're in a bad way, it seems. Morton laughed grimly, then coughed, his breathing sounding on the edge of human and something else. You told me to keep an eye on those things, he said. They were raised up by his lordship, meant as a guard against intruders. But they couldn't be controlled. Got me on the hand last night. The rest of the boys are out on a raid. Now I'm becoming one of them. They threw me in here. Ungrateful bastards. <laughs> he coughed raggedly. Water Do you have water? Mara started forward, but Almanda stayed her with his hand. We might have some water, friend, he said, but I want something from you first. Who's your lordship, then? And why is he sending you boys out to terrorise a harmless village of old soldiers? What's he after? The man grunted. I cannot tell you. Well, then, I'm afraid we cannot spare water for you. Enjoy your cage. Oh, Manda, please, gasped Mara. The poor man... He's very sick. Not my problem, replied Almander. He'd call the alarm on us in no time, way, in any condition to. He turned to the man. I hate to break it to you, Morton, but you are likely to be post mortem any minute now, and no water is going to save you. Here's a deal. If you give me this information, I'll grant you a quick, clean death. And my colleague here. He gestured to Navi. We'll see to it that you don't become one of them. Otherwise, we'll leave you to it and your miserable soul will no doubt haunt these dingy tunnels for a while yet, feasting on whatever filthy scraps it can find. And you'll be no more than a dead, rotting guard dog until your so-called lord gets bored of you. Behind the Scenes Elmander is trying to goad Morton into giving out the information the party wants. I'm going to rule this will require an Opposed Attribute check, Elmander's Charisma versus Morton's Wisdom. Elmander has a Charisma of 12, which means he wouldn't ordinarily get a bonus to his roll. However, I'm going to say that as Morton is relatively powerless, and likely knows that what Elmander says is true, the fighter will have a plus one to his roll. I need to roll up a single stat for Morton, his wisdom. Rolling 3d6. 11. Okay, that's fairly strong, but doesn't provide a bonus for him. Now here comes the opposed rolls on the d20. Almanda rolls 17 plus 1 is 18. Morton 15. Morton tries to stay strong-willed but in the end backs down, knowing in his heart that one of his fates will be less bad than the other. Let's return to the action. The chained figure stared defiantly back at Almander for a few seconds, then abruptly sagged. He drew a weak breath. <sighs> the ruler of this place is Master Lucan. He is a. Uh, he draws power from the dead and toys with them, bends them to his will, like a master of puppets. Mara gasped. A necromancer? Necro what? asked Killia. Elmander looked grim. So, this is why he wants the villagers. They're a fresh supply of corpses. He, he hasn't killed many, from what I know, but he has done experiments. He's looking at new ways of extracting power from the living, creating new servants. It isn't just us, we are. We are the. I know exactly who you all are snarled Almander. The bloody cohort of bloody Paha. Morton nodded, surprised. Yes, I don't know how you know that, but yes, the cohort is here. But there are are goblins too, and they range further afield. Slavers. The party had a collective moment of realization. Alwyn's captors, the goblins from the Mister Moor, were also involved in this operation. How did your gang find out about this place? asked Almander. We have an insider. There is a spy in Hollow Hill. Who? said Almander, although he had a strong inkling he already knew. But Morton did not answer his head lowered, and he went still, his breath fading rapidly. After a few seconds of silence, Elmander knelt forward and gently lifted the man's chin with the blade of his longsword. Morton had died. Then, he hadn't, his eyes flashed open and glared with a baleful white light up at the fighter. With surprising speed, the newly undead Morton grabbed Elmanda’s Elmander's leather jerkin and pulled himself upright, lunging forward to attack. Elmander, taken by surprise, reflexively lowered his sword and pushed forward, impaling the creature. It seemed not to care, and in a horrifying moment it pulled itself forward towards the fighter, ignoring the blade that was now passing through the back of its ribcage. Elmander pulled himself free and stumbled back. The zombie grinned malevolently, and then suddenly its head exploded in a shower of brains and blood. Narvi had brought down his warhammer hard from the side. The corpse slumped to the floor, twitching gently before finally growing still again. Elmander, breathing hard, looked over the dwarf. "'My thanks, cleric,' he said. "'I am coming round to your way of thinking. We need to rid this place and the whole damn land of this. Lucan, and his cronies."
1: Narvi nodded. Very well, he said, but first I feel me must rest. I am sore from that cursed javelin, and the rest of us could do with renewed energy after the travails of this day. The others agreed, and they left the scene of carnage behind,
0: walking down the corridor. behind the scenes. The party members have decided to take a short rest. This will allow those who have been injured to regain some of their hit points, and also Mara will finally have the time to obtain her new spell. This is still an active and dangerous area however, and it is getting towards night. The bandits, if any remain, will soon be awakening and may well be suspicious of the fact that none of their colleagues have returned from the raid on Harrow Hill. I will roll on the fate chart to see if the bandits are awakening. If they are, there will be a 2 in 6 chance that they will be patrolled in the corridors and will come across the resting party. If they don't, I will still roll a wandering encounter roll, but it will only be a 1 in 6 chance and it won't be a bandit patrol that they come across. I'll call this 50-50 on the D100. Are the bandits awake? 50 or less is a yes. 99. Extreme no. Hmm, that means that not only are the bandits not awake, they are not even actively patrolling the dungeons. I wonder why. We'll find out later, I guess. Day 6, Midnight. Party status. Killia, 7 of 7 hit points. Almanda eleven of fourteen hit points Narvi five of twelve hit points Macus eight of eight hit points Longo seven of seven hit points Spells available read magic shield and detect magic Narvi has prayed for cure light wounds. The six party members rose with difficulty, stiff and aching from their uncomfortable slumbers. Kelly had found another room, small and empty, and they had gratefully made themselves as comfortable as they could with cloaks and packs as pillows. The short rest had given them some respite, but at this moment they did not feel the benefit. In any case, the endless cloying dark of the old dwarven tunnels had taken away any sense of time. It could have been midnight or early morning for all they knew. They were lost and disorientated. Only Mara felt elated. As she had been dozing, some new energy had entered her. She felt the thrill of discovery. Her downtime studying over the past week had finally paid off, and she felt the knowledge of new magic etched into her brain. The party walked haltingly for a few dozen yards then noticed a sudden drop in both the temperature and the incline of the passageway. The floor became rougher and more uneven, and the sparse light from their flickering torches showed that the masonry was less thoroughly worked, eventually fading away and returning to natural stone. Are we still in the dwarf castle? asked Killia. Fortress,
1: replied Narvi. and yes we are. My people always made a point not to delve too greedily or too deep after a rather unpleasant incident a few centuries ago. We allow the original inhabitants of the mountains to maintain their underlayers so that we may live in something approaching harmony. Elmander stopped.
0: What do you mean, the original inhabitants? he demanded. What in all the hells are we going to find down here? Hopefully not the actual
1: Hells, muttered Longo. We respect the mountain spirits, said the dwarf, and they rarely bother us, too. But sometimes we make contact with their servants, such as... No, shrieked Mara.
0: I don't want to know. If we come across them, then so be it. But I don't want to be terrified of every shadow or creaking noise, not more than I am already. Just at that very moment, the party hushed as, on the very edge of hearing, there was a faint, imperceptible, chittering sound. "'That one of your mountain, friends?' asked Almanda grimly.
1: "'No, of course not. The spirit of the mountain are—' "'Shut up!'
0: Behind the Scenes Now the party have completed their short rest, they have regained some of their lost hit points, and I'm going to allow Mara to imbue her new spell. To balance that out, I'm going to roll a Wandering Encounter check. We've already established the bandits are not nearby, so I'll make it a regular check. It's been a while since I've last done this, in fact the previous one led to the creation of the Gnome storyline in an earlier episode. This one may not be so important to the plot, but we'll see. On a 1, there will be something. Ha! A 1! What are the chances? Well, 1 in 6. Will these be bandits? No, I've already established we won't encounter bandits at the moment. What else would be down here? I'll roll randomly on the basic fantasy dungeon encounter table. Okay then. Interesting. The chittering sound stopped as suddenly as it started. ''That definitely happened, right?'' asked Macus. ''I wasn't just hearing things.'' The others affirmed that this was the case. The passageway ahead curved round to the right. ''Let's keep going,'' said Navi softly. ''But quietly.'' Slowly, the party advanced down the tunnel. All was now quiet apart from the occasional splash of water. They soon found the passage widening out into a natural chamber. As the light of their torches filled the space, there was a sudden rush of movement, and the chittering noise began again. But they saw nothing, until they did. Lying on the floor were two bodies. Wary now since their last encounter with corpses, the party waited. Macus tossed a small rock at one of the bodies, but nothing happened. Very cautiously, Killia crept forward and examined them. "'They're bandits,' she called back softly. "'It looks like they may have had a fight over something. "'There's blood on both of them, and a couple of daggers lying nearby.' "'Good,' said Almanda. "'Saves us having to kill them.' Longo also knelt over the two dead men. "'What's this?' he asked he gingerly lifted up the man's arm by the sleeve there's some kind of slime trail on him and his finger looks like it's been nibbled There was a short silence then a horrible hissing sound erupted from above their heads and something large and heavy dropped suddenly from above knocking the tall warrior from hollow hill flat on the ground it looked like a huge scaled ball Then it unraveled with another hiss, and now the horrified party members saw it was a giant gnarled beetle over three foot long. More shrieking hisses erupted around them, and another three large shapes dropped from the cavern ceiling. Behind the Scenes These huge insects are bombardier beetles. Living so far underground, they have grown in scale, feeding on species of fungus and any other unsuspecting creatures that wandered this far down into the bowels of the earth. Today has already been a good day, with the discovery of two fresh corpses to feed on, and now there could be potentially another six to feed their larvae for weeks. I rolled surprise for the party and got a one, which means they are surprised. The beetles quite literally got the drop on them. They have two attacks, a bite with their vicious jaws for 1d6 damage. Plus there is a 20% chance that each beater will, once per combat, spray a cone of hot and noxious gas from a nozzle in the tip of their abdomen. This causes 2d6 of damage for anyone within range of the Toxic Blast, which could potentially be very serious for the party.
1: Entering combat
0: before I roll for initiative, I need to see if the beetle that dropped onto Longo is able to attack him. 19. It takes a bite at his arm for, fortunately, just one point of damage. Now the other party members have regained their composure. It's time to roll for initiative. Round 1. The beetles go first. The party is evidently still shocked by their appearance. The first beetle has a 1 in 5 chance of spraying its poison. On a D100 it gets an 18. It arches its abdomen above its head and emits a stream of noxious gas. Rolling to see who it hits, I've assigned a number on a D6 to each party member. 1. That's Killia. The gas hits her in the face. She has to save versus poison, or else she'll suffer the effects. She needs a 12 or more. Oh no, only a 2. The gas enters her lungs and she begins to choke and retch. It costs her 4 points of damage, that's lucky, she could have been killed. The second beetle attacks Longo again, with a 3 it misses, as does the third beetle, again aiming for Killia. The fourth beetle, sensing weakness, jumps at Longo. A 16, this could be it for the militiaman. rolling for damage, 5, this brings him down to just one hit point. He lunges back, but with a 5, understandably misses. Macus attacks the third beetle for 19, causing 6 damage. Killia retreats from the toxic cloud, taking shaky aim at the beetle who gassed her. 16 just hits for 3 damage. Elmanda lunges at the second beetle, but with a 2, misses. Mara draws her dagger and lashes out at the same beetle. With an 18, she hits for four damage. Navi also attacks it, but it's agonised writhing means he misses it with a two. Round two. The party are lucky, as none of the beetles decide to use their gas weapon. Kilio shoots at the second beetle, 18 hits for three damage. The arrow pierces the beetle's thorax, killing it with a squelching crunch. The badly wounded Longo tries to attack the fourth beetle, but with eleven misses. Mara stabs out at the third beetle again. Another eighteen! Mara's on a roll, scoring six damage! The magic user has her first kill of the campaign. The beetle curls up, its legs waving feebly as the life leaves its body. Navi, seeing Killia is in a bad way, rushes to her, muttering his healing words. He imbues her with healing energy, restoring two hit points back. Meanwhile, Makus attacks the fourth beetle, getting a 19 and hitting it for 3 damage. Elmander takes a mighty swipe at the first beetle. 16 for 6 points of damage. It's looking in a bad way. Now it's the Beatles' turn. As half their number are dead, the remaining two must make a morale check. They have a morale of eight. Eleven. The Beatles evidently have decided this meal is not worth the risk. With an ear-piercing shriek, the remaining two scuttle away at breathtaking speed and disappear into the darkness. The combat is over. And so is this episode. Thank you for listening to stories from the first watch. There are no guest voices this episode. Instead, I'd like to thank all the creators who contribute sounds, music and effects for free. Check out the following websites and donate to them if you can. Tabletop Audio, Tune Tank, Free Sounds and Zapsplat the party have just seen off another dangerous encounter. Are they getting close to discovering the secrets of the new Master of Karamun? Join me next time on Stories from the First Watch. Oh, and to all my listeners over the past few months, thank you. You are the reason that the show exists. I wish you all a very merry festive season. Hello everyone and welcome to Five Gyms in a Trench Coat.
1: Excuse me? Yeah? What's that? You wanna know what Five Gyms in a Trench Coat is? Let us tell you. It's the adhesive that keeps the fragile pieces of my sanity together. Well, okay, Jesse, what it actually is, is a narrative-driven TTRPG actual play where five friends take turns weaving stories through the tabletop game of their choice. Of their choice? Each season? Each season. That's pretty cool. I disagree. Oh, I feel it's the adhesive. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you guys aren't all in a trench coat? No, we're definitely in a trench coat. How how does that work? Get her. Before I'm caught, you can check out 5Games in a Trench Coat just about anywhere you get your podcasts, or you can check out our website at 5Gamesinatrenchcoat.com. Oh my god. They really are all in a trench coat.